0: Hi, I'm Anoush, and this is the New Statesman's twice-weekly politics podcast. In this episode, we'll be analysing the result of the SNP leadership election with our Scotland editor, Chris Deeran. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Afternoon. Barely an hour's passed since the result was announced, but you've already written two pieces about it already. So thanks for squeezing us in. So, for our listeners who don't know, Hamza Yusuf narrowly defeated Kate Forbes with 52.1% of the vote to her 47.9%. What do you make of that result, Chris?
1: I think that Hamza Youssef will be relieved that he has squeezed through. I think given the way the campaign went and the sheer might of the party machine that was thrown behind Yusuf, John Swinney, Down, all came out publicly, cabinet mm-hmm. ministers came out publicly for Yusuf. Very few people in the, the government came out for Kate Forbes. You would think in that kind of situation that the preferred candidate would romp home. He certainly hasn't done that. It was a bit of a Brexit result in the end, wasn't it? 52-48. Yeah. The settled will. Indeed, it's, it's, it's something that they will have to come to terms with. We discovered over the course of the campaign that the SNP was much more divided, I think, than many of us had realised and that there had been much more unhappiness, perhaps, with certainly the latter period of the Sturgeon government than had been evident. And I think that's what's played out in the results here that Forbes, especially after her very difficult first week when her socially conservative views threatened to derail her campaign was able to come really within a few thousand votes of winning tells you that there is something at the heart of the SNP that needs addressed. I, I, looking at the figures, I think almost two thirds of SNP members didn't vote for Hamza Yusuf, which is wow. quite, quite a large amount. Now that's everybody who's a member, not just those who voted. There were clearly plenty who weren't inspired by any candidate to vote, but also Hamza Yusuf didn't manage to inspire the party to come out and give him an overwhelming mandate. The other thing, of course, is that not just among members, but among the wider electorate, Forbes was by far the preferred candidate in every poll that was taken. She was getting sort of 30% support to 20% for Hamza Youssef. You know, there's a job that he has to do now, two jobs. One is to persuade the recalcitrant members of his party that he is the right man for the job. And the second and more important part, really is to persuade the electorate that he's up to it. Because I think the word I'm using to describe the general mood of the electorate when it comes to Hamza Yusuf is nonplussed. I think <laughs> they've had a look. They've had a look. They haven't been particularly impressed. And the SNP have, I wouldn't say foisted. He's the one that was promoted as the chosen one, the anointed one. And lots of people, as the result shows, haven't bought into that. So he now has to prove to the electorate, as well as the SNP, that he was worthy of that that backing by what he now does as First Minister.
0: That's really interesting. It's interesting that you calculate that about a third of the party membership didn't actually choose him. And I just wonder whether you were able to get a read on what members were thinking in the run-up to this election, because unlike the Tory leadership contest that we had in England last summer, there there weren't those party membership polls that could give you a steer on what members were thinking.
1: It was very difficult for that very reason, it's Very hard to get any kind of scientific view of what members were thinking. But I guess we can look at this and say that... There were those who wanted to put the foot down on independence, which is maybe where Ash Regan got her support, like in a more Alba, Alex Mm -hmm. Salmon supporting more extreme wing of the SNP. And then the remainder, you would look at the Forbes support as being members who felt that the SNP did need to change in government, that the sort of sturgeon approach to government and winning independence had run its course. She was the one who obviously described the, the, what the SNP had done in government so far as mediocre. She was probably the one who talked most openly about maybe a more patient approach to winning independence, about reaching out and winning over soft no voters, which the polls suggested she would have been more in a position to do. And Hamza Yusuf himself described his candidacy as the continuity candidacy. So there were obviously a fair number of people who felt that they should carry on roughly as they were, it was interesting in his acceptance speech today that he talked about governing for all of Scotland and the SNP being one family, but also in terms of the, the priorities he would choose as First Minister. He talked about reforming the NHS. He's been Health Secretary for a few years now, not particularly rated, I think, by those in the NHS that I've spoken to, but the, des- the people in the NHS desperately want a period of thought and then reform. And if he lives mm-hmm. up to that, Maybe that's a job for Kate Forbes now. You know, big reform-minded brain to be given a difficult job, which is always a clever thing to do to your opponents. But also let her prove herself a public service job, and perhaps win the SNP support for actually making some genuine reforms to public services. He talked about small business. He talked about childcare. He talked about more powerful local government. These are all things that I, my think tank Reform Scotland, are very keen on. I, I genuinely wish him well and. He's the only game in town for the next few years. If he delivers on this stuff, then I think he has a chance of showing that this is in a sense a renewal of government within the SNP, that they are going to take a different approach to things. He said they would try to govern well to persuade those who are unpersuaded by independence that they can do it. But he also said he was going to put the independence campaign into fifth gear, to use his phrase. Now, whether you can govern well and persuade people, which will take a period of time, while having the independence campaign in fifth gear, I'm not sure you can do both at once. So... There's a lot of there'll be proof in the pudding on a, a lot of that about how he what he chooses to prioritise. Is it more of the Sturgeon full-on running at the barricades on independence? There'll be a referendum next year, no, there'll be one next year, no, there'll be one next year, mm-hmm. or is it going to be we need to slow down a bit because we're not persuading no voters at the moment we're above forty-five to fifty percent support for independence? If that strategy under Sturgeon, who was very popular and successful, didn't work. I'm not sure it would work under Hamza Youssef, who is far less popular and successful so far anyway. So the, it'll be interesting to see how he manages that, how he manages the splits in his own party and how he governs as first minister. Is, is he up to it? Does he have the capacity to be a reforming first minister, a, a renewer of his party in government? We know that both New Labour and even the Tories before that weren't able to re- renew themselves in government. It's very difficult when you've been in government for a long time to find new energy, new ideas and re-inspire the electorate to think that you're the guys. But that's his job now. So he will have to do, I guess, what Gordon Brown and John Major couldn't and find a way to to reconnect with voters and find that energy that was there in, in the early days. That's a hell of a challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is you mentioned the divisions within the party. And I wonder what you thought that the leadership campaign taught you about the health of the SNP as a party, because it was a very fractious campaign, wasn't it? You mentioned Kate Forbes' opinions on sex and other sort of social issues coming up in her interviews about her faith, Hamza Youssef's own gaffes, and the resignation of Nicola Sturgeon's husband, Peter Morrill, who was the party's chief executive over the bogus membership figures. And there were many other top figures who were quitting from their posts as well. What did it tell you about the sort of health of the party? Because they've long had a reputation in England, at least, as this party of discipline sticking to the party line and also an election winning machine as well up until recently.
1: The membership figures were, in in a sense, the most interesting thing to come out during the campaign, partly because they tried so hard to not release them. (laughs) If you're looking at the 2014, 2015, after the independence referendum, it was claimed they were as high as 120,000, which was a huge influx of new people into the SNP and it's now emerged there's 72,000 members now that's some drop off in a relatively short period of time it would be, I think we don't really know yet who, which members have left and which have stayed, my instinct would be that the long term membership have probably stayed, the people who have been members for 20 or 30 years you'd probably just stick with the programme, maybe a lot of the younger members who came in have either lost interest or moved on to, to, to other things but we don't really know that but it is clear that enthusiasm for the SNP at an activist level is not where it once was, which I think makes it any campaign that's coming up. We've got a general election next year. We've got a election in 2026. Having the ground forces and the enthusiasm of the parts of the electorate for you is something that you have to, if you build it, you have to try and keep it. So it's been interesting to detect that there is that quite substantial fall off in, in support amongst SNP members. I suppose the other thing we've seen is what an incredible conjuring job Nicola Sturgeon did over her eight years, because the divisions that have emerged, we always knew that the SNP, mm. in terms of its membership, was quite a broad church. The one thing that everyone agreed on was independence. And that's why we had the whooshed for in slogan, which was going around as in shut up for independence. Don't <laughs> criticise government on the basis of policies you don't agree with, because all that matters in the end is securing independence. And Sturgeon, I think through winning all the elections she did, as she likes to tell us, and also the force of her charisma and personality, her personal popularity among the electorate had kind of won the right to demand that support. We're nearly there. Just stick with us. Don't worry about the policies. Well, it's all about getting over the line on independence. Without someone of Sturgeon's talents and charisma and authority, what happens to that wished for Ferindi idea? You know, after eight years of Sturgeon, there's still not much forward on, on winning majority support for independence. Is Hamza Yusuf the man to deliver that where Nicola Sturgeon couldn't? We could certainly entertain doubts about that. Are the public looking at the SNP now and seeing those splits so vividly displayed over the past four or five weeks? Are they now looking at the SNP? As they often look at divided parties and think, I'm just not so sure that you are anymore the outfit that I thought you were. Are you capable of governing as a united party when you disagree on so much including gender and uh, the way we go about securing independence whether there should be energetic reform of public services like education and health have you just been in government too long is it time for someone else to get to have a go so those are the kind of questions that have been raised by this campaign if they hadn't been raised before and it'll be up to Hamza Youssef to answer them and to prove that, that he can deliver that so I think that's what we'll learn the party is divided. Without a charismatic and controlling leader, those divisions will be quite easily displayed. There's been a big public rebellion, so will those voices go quiet now that someone has been declared the winner? And what does it do now? That first flush of incredibly enthusiastic new members has gone, and it's down to still a quite substantial 72,000, but it's not 120,000, whatever it was before.
0: After the break, we'll talk about what the SNP's new leader means for Scotland's political future, and what's in their entray. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a few minutes.
1: If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Weymouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, Our analysis the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? So you mentioned a bit about what you would like to see, Yusuf's priorities as leader. What do you think he will go to first, knowing the kind of politician that he is? Well,
1: he's talked a lot in the campaign about childcare, expanding the right to childcare, which is not cheap and there's not a lot of money around. So there is the question of how he's going to fund that and where he would take the money from. One of the problems in Scotland is that the economy, as with the rest of the UK, has been bumping along the bottom. So revenues are not particularly high they're having to make quite hard decisions across different budgets so you'd have to take the money from somewhere else to deliver that child care policy he's going to have to make a decision relatively quickly on the gender reform bill or act as to whether to pursue that all the way to the supreme court the british government passing the announcing the Section 35 order, which meant the act couldn't get royal consent. So is he going to, as Nicola Sturgeon wanted to, continue that battle all the way to the Supreme Court? If they lose, what does that mean? Does he, If he knows they're probably going to lose, which is, I think, what most people would expect, is he still going to risk his new political capital on something like that, which just so divided his party, both before and during this leadership contest? Or is he going to find a way to park that? Is he going to find a way to bring it back to Holyrood and perhaps work out a compromise that might be more acceptable to both sides of the debate? Cost of living is unavoidably a priority just now, and he mentioned that in his acceptance speech. But what does that mean? What does tackling cost of living mean? Does it mean trying to get growth in the economy? He wants to keep the Greens in in government. The Greens are mortally opposed to economic growth. They would have walked out, I think, had Kate Forbes won because she's in favour of of economic growth in order to fund public services and tackle poverty, but she's not First Minister, so how does he go about doing that thing? I don't think he's shown huge amount of interest in the private sector and business and the rest over his 10-year ministerial career so far. So I, I don't really know what to expect him from him on that front. The Sturgeon approach to all of this was simply to carve out money and push it towards underprivileged groups, which is fine, but at a certain point you run out of money to do that if you're not growing the economy and bringing more in. So I think he'll probably want to reunite his party by showing a degree of balance that he understands the need for renewal and a fresh approach to government he only took and maybe nhs reform as a way to to do that i think potentially he's talked about a a national conversation which is one of those terrible political phrases but would be looking again at the nhs and trying to find reforms that would allow it to perform better within the free at the point of use demand so if he does that what's that going to look like how long is that going to take what impact does it have on support for independence. And uh, yeah, so cost of living, NHS reform, a choice on gender, and also a decision on the nature of the independence campaign, which I think perhaps a lot of people in Scotland are it has been white noise to them for a long time. It's been unending in the background and kind of wearying if you're not an SNP or an independence supporter. Does he take the foot off the pedal? Does he change the nature of the conversation? Or is it just more of the same? In which case, I think the recent decline in support for the SNP and support for independence could become something that continues. And certainly the Labour Party in Scotland are not impressed by Hamza Youssef. Were hoping he would win because they thought he was the weakest of the two main candidates and are hoping to make serious inroads into the SNP seats at Westminster in the next general election.
0: Oh, that was going to be my next question for you. So I'm glad you mentioned that because Labour is trying to spin this as a sort of boost for them. Do you think that's correct, that that's the right calculation that they've made there?
1: It remains to be seen. There's no point writing someone off just because you were unconvinced by them during the campaign. Will Hamza Yusuf grow into the job? We'll know that relatively quickly. Nicola Sturgeon certainly did. She was quite shy and introverted and became this very impressive, substantial figure. I think Hamza Yusuf has to do something similar. I don't think he particularly looked like a first minister in waiting during the campaign. And the result today, lots of people didn't think that he necessarily had what it took. So he now has to show that he has the shoulders for this big job and can put the majority of Scots behind him for a period at least. The Labour Party are doubtful that he has that in him. And they were already looking, I think, with the decline in SNP support to the general election, whether it's next spring or autumn, as a way to to win back maybe as many as 20 of Scotland's 59 Westminster seats, which would put them in touching distance of the SNP. I think the SNP would still be the largest Scottish party at Westminster, but there wouldn't be all that much in it. Mm. And the idea is then, of course, that that provides a springboard to the next Holyrood election in 2026, and Labour would hope to be in government at Westminster by that time, and selling a message of a Labour government in Holyrood and a Labour government in Westminster would be able to work in harmony to, to really drive Scotland's interests forward as opposed to what we've had, which has been quite an oppositional relationship between SNP in Edinburgh and the Conservatives in London. Labour definitely see this as an opportunity. Uh, part of it depends on how Hamza Yusuf now performs in the weeks and months ahead. I don't think he'll get much of a honeymoon because there wasn't huge public enthusiasm for him. I don't think he'll get the benefit of the doubt for too long if he avoids making some of the harder decisions early on then I think he'll just people will be persuaded that he was what they thought he might be all along if he seemed to be a puppet of the Sturgeon Sturgeonites if you like which is what some people painted him as during the competition then that again will not play in his favour he's got to be his own man he's got to do some things differently it's got to feel like a change and he's got to have some successes quite early on otherwise I think this decline of the SNP which has only really just begun and isn't necessarily fatal at this stage could quickly become very hard for them to stop
0: Yeah. And that was going to be my last question to you, actually, Chris. So This idea of whether or not he's going to be a puppet of the Sturgeonites or not. We were expecting under Sturgeon for the next general election to be treated as a de facto referendum by the SNP. Is he going to go through with that strategy or not?
1: No, I don't think he will. I think the solid policy was unpopular within the SNP, but also deeply unpopular within the country which didn't like the idea of being railroaded into voting for one thing in a general election, which is obviously about many things. There might be a sort of version of it, which is give us the support for, you know, independence at the top of their manifesto, give us the support for that. And we will go into a Holyrood election, perhaps demanding a referendum. They'll no doubt demand a referendum if they do well in the next general election. But if they fall back in that election, uh, which I think is likely a bit anyway in the general election, then that will take the edge off that argument a bit. If they're not the thing about the SNP is they've all, they're like a shark. They've always got to be moving forward, always eating new things, always growing. And when that stops happening, the only way really is backwards. And it's very hard to make the case for a referendum which hasn't been granted so far if you're actually on the downturn. So that that will be difficult for them. I think they're probably looking more to the next Holyrood election now. But again, if they fall back there and if Labour are able to win back seats and be in a position to properly hold them to account by being close-ish in numbers... That's going to make it very difficult for the SNP to, to say that there's public demand for a referendum. This is why I think a lot of people, including me, have been saying that the moment for independence is gone for now. It's We've had nothing but moments for independence over the last eight years. We've had Brexit. We've had Boris Johnson, hugely unpopular Tory government, a cost of living crisis. None of this has pushed support for independence up as things have started to change. An SNP party in government for 16 years sense that it, they might have run their course at this point. I don't think, despite what the, the independentistas say, that there is really much appetite for carrying on down this route of constantly hammering away at the need for a, a referendum. It's almost a count, a, a, an approach of diminishing returns by this stage. So they need to be clever. I think they need to go away and govern. And this is if they're given the opportunity. Go away and govern properly. Think hard about reforming public services. Concentrate on the economy show some uptick in these things over a period of time. It could be as long as a decade because it takes a long time to reform public services and to get an economy up on its feet and persuade people that that you're doing what needs to be done. And at that point, you can say, look how well we've done within the constraints of devolution. Imagine what we could do with independence. But that can't be done in a year or two years or probably even five years. And whether the party has the patience for that and whether the electorate is willing to give them that much more time to to change the way they're, they're going to approach it while still in government i'm not sure we'll see what happens in the coming years but certainly labour are they've got their tails up keir starmer has been up i think every week for the past four weeks you can't move for a shadow cabinet minister up from london in a constituency that labour are keen to win back if you go to the central belt you'll find west streeting mm. or you'll find any of the others and often keir starmer and i don't think they're going to let up on that because they can consent the opportunity and that sense of momentum, inevitability towards independence that Sturgeon always argued was there, I think that's gone. And I think Labour want to drive home the point that that's gone. And if that becomes received wisdom amongst the Scottish electorate, it makes their Labour party's job of taking seats for the sake of better government an easier sell.
0: That's so interesting. Thanks so much, Chris. And I'm sure we'll have you back soon to assess Hamza Youssef's first, early days as first minister. Thanks.
1: Indeed. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash us. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and our Scotland editor, Chris Deiren. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for The New Statesman. We're produced by Adrian Bradley.